God's grace and His mercy and His peace be yours through faith in Christ, our our one and only Savior. Amen. You have gathered together in the house of the Lord. I ask you to, to turn your attention one more time to the great prayer, the best prayer, the one that Christ himself taught us to pray. It's the Lord's Prayer. And, and before we look at the section of it today that we'll be really zeroing in at, I, I want you to think of a phrase that I'm guessing you've heard before. It's the phrase, your wish is my command. Can you imagine hearing someone say that to you? Your wish is my command. Oh, your eyes would get big. Your mind would start running wild about all the possibilities that are there. Your wish is my command. Now see, that's a phrase that has gained popularity from the story of Aladdin. And I think you know that story well enough. It's for that reason why you're on, when you go on vacation and you're on a beach, if you happen to see out of the corner of your eye uh, a lamp, my guess is that you would pick it up and rub it with the hope that this mysterious genie would come out. And should Robin Williams come out of that lamp he would say, your wish is my command. What would you ask for? What would be on the top of your list? Your wish is my command. Could you imagine having at your disposition someone who would fill every single one of your wishes and wants according to your own will? Well, we know that's not how it always works. And today, in fact, we have to check our own will at the door and be thankful to God that he doesn't always provide for us a genie. In fact, he never will. And the reason for that is that as we gather together today, we realize that there are in fact so many things that we wish we could have. We want our will to always be done. And yet, the master teacher, our Savior himself, when he was teaching us to pray, he reminds us of this key concept, your will be done. Your will be done, not my will or our will be done. And so with that in mind, we turn once again to Matthew 6, where Jesus is walking through the Lord's Prayer. And to remind you of how far we've gone and where we are heading, this is what Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know if you've taken the time to stop and really just think about some of the small words 
in the prayer that we are saying now? But one of the stark contrasts we have as you work through the Lord's Prayer is that at the beginning of the prayer, as in the address, our Father in heaven, as well as the first three things that we're praying for, you see this word, our, O-U-R, as opposed to your or my. Why do I say that? We see the word our when it comes to our Father, but then it shifts to your because the first part of the Lord's Prayer is reminding us not only to whom we are praying, but of what is most important, and it takes everything out of the realm of our responsibility. It's our Father, and yet now we're saying we want to worship you, Lord, and we want you to do your things. We want your name to be holy. We want your kingdom to come, And now, perhaps the hardest thing in the world for us to get our mind around is we want your will to be done, which in essence is saying we recognize that our will isn't what we're praying for. And that is hard. Because we all know what we want. We all have the list of things that need to happen I say need because of the way we think, need to happen in order for us to be truly happy, truly successful, truly pleased with life. And yet here, as we come to our Father in heaven, we're saying, okay, but your will be done. And to understand that, I want you to trip, take a trip back with me to, to the Garden of Eden. I think you know exactly where I'm going. I'm going to that time when, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and when they fell into sin. And there they are in front of that tree of which the Lord said, Do not eat of it, for if you do, you will surely die. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the tree that allowed Adam and Eve to show their love for God every time they passed in front of it and they didn't eat of it, they were saying, we trust you, your will be done until they ate. And then we see the effects of sin in this world and we see the the terrible things that happen. We see that death entered the world. We see that there are now wars and we see that nature doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And we see that we have hostility with one another and we see that our hearts are sinful to the core. But one thing we don't emphasize enough is this. From that day on, God's will and our will were not on the same page. There's a phrase that's used in in Genesis. It says that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And it's funny because when we say the word image, we automatically think of a, a picture of someone. And yet that's not how the Bible describes the image of God. When the Apostle Paul is talking about the image of God, he says the image of God is really knowledge that's based on the same will. Which means that Adam and Eve, when they were in perfection, They had the same will of God. They wanted the same things. They desired the same things. And yet when sin entered the world, they lost that. And all of a sudden you see divergent paths. You see God's holy and perfect will. 
and you see ours. And we run into a problem now. Because the things that we think we want, or I should say the things we want because we think they are best, are not always in line with God's perfect will. And so we have to resolve this by simply saying with humble hearts, Lord, there are times when we want things that you don't want us to have, and there are times when we don't want things that you do want us to have. And that is hard for us to take. Put yourselves in the shoes of some of those biblical characters, personalities, real live examples for you and for me. Put yourselves in the shoes of Abraham. Do you remember that that account in Abraham's life where the Lord told him to take his one and only son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him? What would your will have said? There is no way, Lord, that I am laying a hand on my child. That's my precious son, the gift that you gave me. I will not do it. And it almost irks us to think that God would require that. And yet there Abraham is willing to give that sacrifice. Your will be done, O Lord, because what happened through that whole episode, Abraham's faith was tested and the Lord provided an illustration for the importance of a substitute. Or you think of the Apostle Paul himself. He who who gave his life to be an ambassador for Jesus. And yet time and time again, his message was met with rejection and even physical harm. The Apostle Paul, who spent many days, if not months, if not years, in prison for what he was proclaiming. And he's thinking, this cannot be your will, Lord. I do not choose to be here. I do not want to be here. And yet the Lord's will was being done as the message of Christ gained notoriety and even external success as people said, This is a message for which people are willing to give their lives. Your will be done, not mine, O Lord. And I think that at this time, if you were really to stop and look back in your life and you would see the hand of God in some very unexpected ways, you would realize that God has had plans in store for you that far exceed what you thought would ever happen. When something happened to you and you said, this is not what I want, this is not what I've asked for, this is not my will, and that now as you look back, you say, but the Lord's will is being done and it's even been done for my good. You see, that's what we get to pray for. And yet even as we're praying for it, our stubborn, sinful hearts, they say it, And they still want to live according to a different will. You see, when we talk about stubborn hearts or battles of the will, we usually think of the battle that happens at home between an adult and a child. 
Can you think of the latest battle of wills that you had? Maybe it was at the dinner table when Junior wouldn't eat his peas and you forced it. For me, I will go on record and if my mom and my dad were here, they would tell you exactly what my greatest battle with them was. It was over the drinking of milk. I hate milk. And yet every day in the evening, I had to drink my milk and I was so stubborn, I would battle them. My dad would battle back and he would wait it out. And what did I realize? That the longer I waited, the warmer the milk got, thus making it more disgusting. And my dad would just wait. And yet he didn't do it simply to bring me problems. It was his will that I would drink milk so that I would stay healthy, that bones wouldn't become brittle, that teeth would grow. And guess what I do now? the very same thing to my children. Or maybe you've been to Target and you've seen it unfold when you go down the Halloween aisle and there he is, the three-year-old who wants the Batman costume, grabs it, won't put it down, and mom says, not today, and the standoff starts. And you kind of want to go to the food aisle and get some popcorn and watch this play out because you know the battle of wills is strong. But now we need to stop laughing and we need to admit that battle is between us and God when we don't accept his will. But when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're humbly coming before him and we have the opportunity to admit, you know what, Lord, we don't always know what is best and we place it in your hands. Because what if? What if instead of relying on our tainted and imperfect and sinful will, what if we could rely on someone else who always knew better, someone who always had love in his heart, someone who always had the knowledge that we don't always have, someone who had a different perspective, someone who had our eternity in mind, what if we could rely on that? And in Christ we can. Because we say, our Father in heaven, your will be done. You see, we recognize our imperfect will and yet we rejoice in God's perfect and holy will. And so we say, our Father in heaven. You see, this is where we have to go right back to that opening phrase. It is so hard for us to entrust ourselves into the hands, into the will of another unless we know who that person is. Our Father. Our Creator the one who has sustained us, who has loved us, the one who has met our every spiritual need in Christ, he disarms us and he says, stop pushing against me and trust that I have your well-being in mind. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we graciously go to him and we say, Lord, I, with narrow vision, 
I with sinful heart entrust all things to your gracious will. But it's easier said than done. Because what do we have going on in this? The battle for control. The battle for control over our own lives when we say, but this is the way things have to go and play out. And when that battle is starting to rage in your heart the next time, when the battle is real in your mind and you're seeing things unfold in a way that you would not like them to go, but you know what God's word is and what it says, then maybe think of the most significant example of God's will being done as opposed to another's. And here I'm talking about our Savior. I'm talking about that moment when Jesus, God's own Son, who took on our humanity, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knew that within hours he would be hanging on a cross to give his life for you. And because he was true man, he knew the pain that that would involve He knew that the punishment for sin would be separation from his father. And so he prayed. He said, Lord, if it is at all possible to save these people in a different way, if it's possible to take that cup from me, please do it. To which we would have said, yeah, find some other way to do it, Lord. But then Jesus said those beautiful words, but not my will, but your will be done. There he is, our perfect savior, our perfect substitute, living the Lord's prayer for us as he says, I trust in your perfect and holy will and your perfect and holy will is that the savior from sin be me. In that through my death on the cross, all of humanity's sins will be paid for and so that those who put their faith in me might have faith in the perfect Savior. Yes, I am willing to do that. Your will is superior and we rejoice in that truth. And so when we're battling and when we want control, we actually find comfort in knowing that we can stop stressing over trying to be controlling or in control of an uncontrollable life and hand everything off to our Father and say, but your will be done. You take it from here, God. You're in control. You have your angels at your disposition. You are in complete control and you've shown me you love me and therefore, whatever it is that you would have me go through, whether it is sickness or health, whether it is moments of, of fiscal uh, wealth and, and, and uh, success or fiscal trials and poverty, I trust that you know what you're doing according to your will. For you saved me from my sin and you always have what's best in mind for me. You see, this is a thought that has plagued humans from the beginning. I don't know how many of you are into uh, 
poetry that comes from the 17th and 18th century, but there is a famous poem. Robert Burns was his author, the author's name. And it was called To a Mouse. And what did he write? He wrote the famous line of mice and men. He was talking about what? The best laid plans of mice and men oft go astray. What was he saying? He was saying, look at how a mouse goes about his business. He goes about and he starts to put together and gather together little things for his nest and then someone walks through the door and washes it all away and he says, oh, that silly mouse, but what of you in your life? And for us, how many times have we, according to our will, done everything the way we think it should be done only to watch life take it in another direction and you lose hope and you lose confidence until you remember, but the Lord's will is always going to be done. He who I call my Father is the one who will do what's best for me. And that, my friends, is a comfortable place to be. As you wish, whatever you ask for, so shall it be. While yes, our sinful nature would love to hear such things, I can't imagine a more comforting truth than to say the pressure has been removed and we put it back on our God and we say, your will be done. And we stand back and we watch as his blessings for our lives abound in ways we could never have imagined. So shall it be. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus our Lord. Amen.